Well, uh, the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. As we read this morning, this is God's holy and inerrant word. We read it as an act of worship. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your money or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you so much for this, your word, and ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching of it. Convict our hearts. Enable us to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, as we, as we enter this part of the scriptures, one of the things that we remember is that God's his disposition toward his people has changed. Christ, at the end of chapter 9, has exhibited pity or grace or mercy toward Israel. He has looked upon them and he called them sheep without a shepherd. And so as we enter into chapter 10, we're noticing that the, the, the nature of Christ's ministry is changing. Before, before God's wrath against Israel was on full display. How? Well, he threw them out of the land. And so as he comes to them even now, what are they experiencing? Well, they are an oppressed people. Uh, Jesus himself described them as helpless, flayed, skinned, as sheep without a shepherd. And that those words that Jesus uttered um, ought to resonate in our ears. Why? Because it would seem as though we live in an era very similar to this. Recently, even Kanye West, the prophet of our times, it would seem, has declared that Christians ought to prepare themselves to go through suffering. I tend to 
agree with Kanye West. It probably is a very rare occasion that that might happen. Israel were living under the wrath of God. And that wrath against them was exhibited how? In that this earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom after earthly kingdom had become contrary to them. They weren't tolerant of Israel. And we're reminded as we go through the prophets that one of the reasons God's wrath had been stirred up against Israel is because her shepherds had been so faithless. In Ezekiel chapter 34, listen to these words. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You get the picture, don't you? The ones who were supposed to be protecting Israel were feeding themselves and had no care for Christ's sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. What's that picture there? Remember in Daniel chapter 7, we get this picture of beast after beast after beast after beast. There are four beasts arising out of them. And what is it? The people of Israel are food for those beasts. These secular kingdoms rising up and destroying the people of God. Why? There's no one to protect them. There's no one to take the rod and the staff and say, dear sheep, don't walk in that path. And so, in the words of Cool Hand Luke, you get what we have here today. Jesus' first work is to appoint shepherds. And remember that when he does that, he is looking out for you. He is determining the way by which he would rule his people until his return in glory. What we see in this passage is that he calls these men, he commissions these men, and he commands these men. He sets them apart for this work. The Lord of the harvests sends workers into the harvest by calling them, commissioning them, and commanding them. The first thing that we notice in verse 1 is that Jesus calls these men. Notice what it says. And he called to him his 12 disciples. And then we get the names of them, don't we? If 
Think about this for just a second. Jesus, notice how Matthew describes it. He calls to himself his 12 disciples. So that word disciple there, it literally means witness. Christ has called to himself these 12 specific men who would witness his ministry and tell others about it. Now let's, let's think just a minute for, about the nature of this calling. And, and the first thing that you should notice is that it is an answer to prayer. Go back with me to chapter 9. He sees his people, and remember, this is not rich people or poor people. He's not looking at sick people or well people. He's looking at all the people who are like sheep without a shepherd. How can he tell? Well, they're not believing the right things. They're not walking in the right way. They're not worshiping in the right way. Everybody's just going his own way. And notice what he tells the people to do in verse 37 of chapter 9. Then he said to his his disciples, the harvest is big, but the laborers are little. Therefore, what? Pray earnestly. So you can just imagine this scene with me, can't you? He says to them, pray earnestly. And, and, and their disciples probably means maybe several hundred people who had started to follow after him, who were walking with him. And he says to them, pray earnestly. So right there with Christ breaks out a prayer meeting. Everybody is sensitive to this issue and they start praying. So what happens on chapter, in chapter 10, verse 1? The very next scene, who answers their prayer? Christ. When they are praying to the Lord of the harvest, they are asking Jesus to send laborers into his harvest. Christ answers their prayer. And what does he do? Who are the workers? Who are the laborers? The day laborers. If Jesus was driving a Ford F-150, he'd be going down to Home Depot and there would be the apostles sitting out on the curb waiting for some work to do. That's the picture. This is menial labor. He's not setting them on thrones right here. He says, I need men who have sickles in their hand to go out into my harvest and gather my people. Men who are ready to sweat and hurt and get sunburned. Christ calls him to them himself. He answers prayer. And this is... Remember when we reflect on the uh, petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we say, um, your kingdom come. When you pray that petition, one of the things that you are asking the Lord to do is provide men who will go into the harvest. And notice that the mission work of the church is not separate from the shepherding work of the church. There are not three offices. We don't have elders and deacons and missionaries. So when Christ calls these men to himself, he is commissioning them as as those who will go out. And he chooses 12 specifically. Notice the importance of the calling. As we go through this discourse in chapter 10, one of the things that you're going to find is that Jesus does not make wonderful promises to these men. Remember the calling of Isaiah in chapter 6? Here's what I want you to do, Isaiah. I want you to go and preach. Preach and preach and preach and preach. And here's what's going to happen. The more you preach, the madder they're going to get at you. Because I have shut up their ears and I have blinded their eyes in judgment so that you will preach to them and preach to them and preach to them. And the more you preach, the more my wrath will burn against my people. 
That's quite a calling, isn't it? How excited must Isaiah have been out to, to go out into that? Who wouldn't be? But these men, as they face the adversity that Christ has determined for them, what are they going to fall back on? I can't do anything else. He has called me. He sustains me. And so this first thing that we notice is that the Lord of the harvest appoints his own workers. This is so important. The Lord of the harvest appoints his own workers. Men don't call themselves to ministry. Elders don't call themselves to eldership. Deacons don't call themselves. Jesus calls his men. That's so important because no matter how hard it becomes, no matter how much the wind blows against them, they can't set the office aside because they didn't take it up. Jesus calls his men. The second thing we notice is that Jesus commissions his his men in verse 1. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the commission. When, When we elect new elders, when we identify those men or deacons whom Christ has called, they, they come up here one, one Sunday. And we go through this process of, of ordination if they haven't been ordained before. We lay hands on them. This is the moment that Christ is laying his hands on these 12 men. And he is giving these men real authority. And do you notice it's, it is a messianic authority? What do I mean by that? Well, when these men go out and minister in the name of Christ, they are enabled to do the work of Christ. Now, within limits. They are enabled to cast out demons. They are enabled to heal. Notice the language, every disease and every sickness Exactly what we just saw about Christ himself in chapter 9. They go out demonstrating the authority of Christ. But there's a limit, isn't there? Do you notice that they can't calm the sea? Do you notice that they can't bring into being something from non-being? So Jesus is both describing the the, uh, territory of their authority and the limitation of it. Not only does Christ call his men, but he equips them to do the work as well. And it's not pretend authority. This is real authority. When they command a demon, it must come out. When they command sickness, it must come out. And one of the things that we emphasize at this point, uh, the, the, the language here, notice in verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. They have become now not disciples, but apostles. An apostle simply means one who is sent out. Jesus equips them to go and display his power wherever they go. They're not coming in their own name. They're not coming in the name of Peter. They're not coming in the name of Andrew. They are coming in the name of Christ, who is the King. Jesus calls his men. He commissions his men. And then we want to spend more of our time here that Jesus commands his men. 
Remember that we have said on a couple of different occasions, I think, that, that Matt, we, we could break Matthew down into five speeches. Um, we saw the first one in chapter five, chapter 5 to 7, where we have the Sermon on the Mount. That's the first speech. We're coming in into chapter 10. It's the second one. There's another one in 13, another one in 18, and another one in 24 and 25. As we come into this speech... We can break it down into two sections, verses 5 to 15 and then, and then uh, 16 to 42. And what Jesus does in this first part of his speech is he tells them exactly what work he is sending them to do. He's preparing them. Notice what we read in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. I want to make just a note here. Sometimes we will say things like, I am send, I'm sending my children out to be salt and light in the world. And I'm thrusting them into this institution or that institution because I want them to go out and be salt and light. But I would just have you notice here two things. One, Jesus never commissioned children. And he only sent these men out after he instructed them in the way. We never send a missionary to China or to Ecuador or any other country without first instructing those men how to teach. You say, well, I think the Lord's calling me to be a missionary. Wonderful, enroll in seminary. Or go and be an assistant. The first thing that Jesus does is he instructs these men. He defines their mission and he identifies the sheep. Look, look with me in verses 5 through 8 at how Jesus defines their mission. What is he calling them to do? He doesn't just put it into their hands. He doesn't say, brothers, I don't know what you're going to do. Just wait for the Spirit. He's going to give you some instructions. Sit on this mountain. Get in touch with the universe and he will tell you what to do. Jesus defines their mission. Notice what he says in verse 5 to 8. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The first thing he does is he tells them who they're going to seek. Or whom, if you're picky. They're going to seek the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this is one of those places where you've got a sort of Put your head down and think about this, okay? Because Jesus is telling them, he's saying, don't go evangelize Gentiles, okay? That's all y'all. And he says, don't go to the Samaritans. Now, that mission is going to flip on its head in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember what Jesus said there. I am sending you where? To Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so by the end of Acts, that mission is accomplished, Here Jesus defines it. He says, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, one of the things that I'll say, I've wrestled with this. Why? Why is it that Jesus is telling them, just go to Israel? Why is it that just go to the southern kingdom? Just restore, just bring good news to Judah. And I would suggest to you, perhaps it's just this way, that what Jesus is doing at this point in history is reversing the exile. Christ himself descended from the tribe of Judah. And in order for Israel to rise again as a kingdom, 
the rulers must take their place first. And so Jesus begins by reversing the order. First, the northern kingdom was taken into exile by Assyria. Then the southern kingdom was taken into exile by Babylon. And so what is Jesus doing? Well, he's working backward in that order and sending his men to the house of Israel to the southern kingdom. Who are they seeking? The lost sheep of Israel. Now, now one thing to be clear on here. When Jesus says lost... He doesn't mean lost in the sense that you're thinking right now. You're thinking of lost in the sense of my husband and I are trying to get to the restaurant and he won't stop and ask for directions. That's not the idea here. The loss that Jesus is speaking of is in the same sense of if, you're, if your right hand causes you to sin, lose it. Jesus is saying that there are certain people that have been cut off. We don't know where they are. They've disappeared. The kingdom is in shambles. It doesn't even belong to Israel anymore. It's a Roman, uh, it's a Rome, part of the Roman Empire at this point. That's what he means by loss. They're gone. They're out there somewhere. We can't see them. We don't know where they are because they've been cut off, scattered. Go get them. Well, how are we supposed to do that, Jesus? You want us to build a beacon? We could build a beacon. Um, we could blow a trumpet. Um, we could uh, add some more gold to the temple. How do you want us to do that? Well, simple. I want you to go preach. Sure. Yeah. Go preach. Go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and notice that when Jesus tells them to proclaim, he, do you notice that he's not leaving anything for them to figure out? Here are the words I want you to say. Go proclaim this message. It's the same message you've heard me saying as you go into the town that I've told you to enter. Here's what you do. You walk over the border. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's your message. Proclaim the kingdom. Tell them what you've seen and heard as John talks about in his first epistle. Do what I do. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. And remember, why are these apostolic signs given? Because all of these things were intended for Israel to look at, oh, lepers are being cleansed. Dead are being healed. The Messiah must be here. Yes, and here's his message. The kingdom, the kingdom is at hand. Hence the reason that the southern kingdom was being raised. Preaching is primary because faith comes by hearing. They were to heal, to build up and support that message so people would know that they have real authority. Who, who, who told you to come here and tell us that the kingdom is at hand? I mean, who, who are you? Well, the same one who gave me this, this power, um, demon be gone. Okay. The Messiah's men, for this time, could do the Messiah's work. Not all of it, but some of it. 
And Jesus goes on, and, and not only will healing undergird that ministry of seeking Israel, but, but he wanted to caution them not to do anything to take away from that message either. You know, you can take away from the, from the message of the gospel, can't you? Um, I get uh, on, a, on a daily basis, sadly, I, I get an email from an organization called uh, Ministry Watch. And every single day, every single day, I get an email about some pastor or some ministry who's been indicted for fraud or who's been indicted for sexual abuse or who is lording it over the congregation. I had one just this week from a couple um, where the minister, they had a, a Passover Seder, and I'm not going to explain what that is. We will never do it. And he took a piece of bread and he was holding it up and he was staring at this piece of bread. And they describe him as becoming transfixed on this piece of bread. Maybe he's right-handed. And he's he's transfixed on this piece of bread, and he's just staring at it for a long time, they said. And then suddenly he he came out of it, and he said, people, I just was transported back to the Last Supper. I'm not making this up. I saw Jesus. He told me the things that he wants to accomplish through me and my wife, co-pastors. And I'm going to give you a part of the revelation. And part of it I'm going to keep back. You see what he's doing. He's controlling the people. Abusing the people. Well, Jesus tells these men, don't take away from the ministry either. Look what he says there in verse 8. You received without paying. Give without pay. Um, Literally, it just says, um, you received a gift. Give a gift. You received a gift, give a gift. And he goes on in verse 9, look what he says. Acquire no gold. Don't don't get for yourself gold or silver or copper for your belts. Don't take a bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And I think he's telling us two things right there. First, I think that what he's telling us is he's saying, guys, I'm not giving you this so that you can go buy a private jet. I'm giving you a gift so that you can give a gift. In other words, you are nothing more than a channel through which I will bless my people. I don't want you to be like Simon Magus, as if his name was not curse enough. We read in Acts chapter 9, but there was a man called Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God, is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, As he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. Good. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now look what happens. 
Verse 19, he said, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Do you see what he's trying to do? He wants them to give him this power so that he can go out and do more magic tricks for the people and so that they'll pay him for it. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm not giving this to you so that you can go out and do magic tricks and get rich. You received a gift Give a gift. But I think, I think it answers another question for us. That, that who, who do we go to? How are we going to go to them? How do we seek the lost sheep? But, but here's, the, here's a, another question that you ought to wrestle with. How do you know who they are? How do you know when you've encountered a lost sheep? I think Jesus identifies them. One, they're going to support your ministry, and two, they're going to receive your word. How do you recognize the lost sheep? Verses 11 through 15 teach us, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Here's what he's saying to him. Look, one, the, you are worthy of your, your, your labor. So what I want you to anticipate is when I send you out to preach and to heal, certain people that you encounter are going to come alongside you and support your ministry. One... It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, but also don't feel uncomfortable about letting people support you in the ministry. We we see this again in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says a soldier doesn't go out to war on his own wages. A farmer eats from his own crop. A minister also ought to be able to live from his work. Sheep will support their shepherds. But importantly as well, the sheep will embrace their shepherds. How do, we, how do I know, Jesus, when I come into that house, how do I know that, that they're the lost sheep or, or if they're just the off-scouring? Well, Jesus tells you, tells them, they're going to embrace you. Isn't this true of the sheep of Christ? The sheep of Christ long for the word of Christ. We ought to expect that even as in Elijah's day, you remember when he, was, when he went out and he was running from Ahab and he went down on the side of the hill and he squatted down and he started crying all over himself and he said, Lord, just kill me now. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, I have a remnant. I have a remnant, Elijah. A few thousand people. Jesus is telling these apostles, you're going out to seek this is what he says to them when he says, go find them, find out who is worthy. He's telling them, look for them, look for the worthy ones, look for the ones who are deserving. Well, how do we know who they are? When you come to them, they're going to they're receive you 
They're going to welcome you in their home, and they're going to love you, not because of who you are. They're not going to say, we were really hoping for Bar- Bartholomew. He has, he's so funny. Jesus says, no, you, you want to know how, how you're going to know when you find them? It's because, man, they're not going to want you to leave because they're my sheep. Remember John 10? Jesus said to the people there, how do you know my sheep? How do you know them? Because they listen to my word and they follow me. And Jesus is telling them, I've called you, I've commissioned you, I've given you this power so that when you go to my people, one, they're going to say, well, how do we know that you're from Jesus? (laughs) They're going to want to validate you. And you validate them because they will support you and they will embrace you. But to the ones who don't embrace you, don't sweat it. it it's not about you. Now, they're going to tell you, we, you know, it's your personality. Um, church wasn't growing. We want somebody enthusiastic, enthusiastic and energetic, tells good stories. Jesus says, don't, don't sweat it, guys. When you leave that town, those people who didn't bless you back, when you get outside that town, take your sandals off, knock the dust off, and keep moving. It's not you. It's not you. They don't belong to me. Christ's sheep respond to his word. And and here's how we take all of this in now. As we think about this message, what is Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us that he, for your good, calls certain men to seek you out, to walk with you, not to feed themselves, not to go lay on the chaise lounge basking in the sun while the church goes to hell, to seek, to find, to feed, to nourish to love, to comfort. How do you know them? When they bring you His Word. How do they know you? When you receive His Word. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Who sends workers into that harvest by calling them, commissioning them, and commanding them. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, We thank you so much that this is your church. It belongs to you. And every man that you have called belongs to you. He has a commission from you. He has authority from you. And he has work to do that is from you. Lord, would you bless us? Put within us a craving for your word. We ask in your name. Amen.